Well, good morning. My name is John Michael. Um, if you're new with us, you might think, oh, that, this is like an average Sunday. Like maybe he's there every week. Um, I'm here to tell you that's not true. Um, I am a pretty unusual person for this time. Um, I usually am hanging out with people much younger than you or me. And I think I have a picture, like a family picture of us and the youth. Yes, it's so good. Uh, this is us at our retreat from this past spring a few months ago. Go ahead and clap for that, please. Ugh. Love them. Uh, yes, we had such a blast. It's a few. It's me, a couple of our stellar volunteers, and a few of our kids. Um, yeah, just a, a good time. Everyone's so sleepy in that picture, too. It was like our last morning there, so no sleep happened, basically. Um, our scripture comes to us from Matthew 11 today. So if you have your Bible, you can flip open. Starting in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll pray for us and get the ship going, yeah? Lord, thank you for this text. I'm grateful that even if I didn't say anything about it, it would just kind of speak for itself share uh, what you're most truly like, Jesus. So I ask you, um, since this is so familiar to me, to so many of us in here, would you, Holy Spirit, reveal something new to us today, something fresh? We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I have three things to talk about today. I Well, I'm going to talk about baby stuff to begin with, um, and then I'm also going to talk a little bit about Jesus being really intense, and you might be thinking, John Michael, he was really nice in that, that text. I know, but I'm still going to talk about him being really intense. And then the third one is I'll get to Jesus being really gentle and humble and all that good stuff. Sound good? Thumbs up. It's a youth trick if you want them to start listening. <laughs> um, the first thing is baby stuff. And based on um, our numbers in the nursery right now, I, I think that's like a topic that you might be interested in. Um, and, and so if like uh, thinking about infants, thinking about babies and how Jesus says that the father is revealing these things, in quote, i.e. Jesus's status as Israel's Messiah, the things that are most true about the father and the son, it seems that the father is interested very graciously 
It gives him good pleasure to reveal the good news to infants and not the wise and understanding. Um, if there's one thing, I mean, I don't have any kids or anything, but from what I've seen, um, uh, infants just like cry a lot. Um, can anyone nod if, if that's true? Uh, no nods, but I think it's still true. And <laughs> when, they're, when they're crying, um, it's usually to communicate. If you put a sentence to it, um, the crying is saying stuff like, I'm really hungry, or uh, I am uncomfortable, or I need to fart, or something like it. But the common thread in babies crying is the sentence, I need something, basically. It's like, I was contented and quiet at one point, and now I need something. And so I am going to declare to you and everybody, I don't really care who knows, that I need something. And so that is, I think, what Jesus is getting at here when he's talking about infants. He's, it might be that he's talking about this like, romantic idea of like, cute little babies, but I think it's, it's actually something about humility. Talking about dependence and need. It's what infants are kind of all about. It's all they know is dependence on their caregiver. And so it seems as though that um, when Jesus is saying this, he's, he's kind of pulling on a thread that's pretty common throughout the scriptures, throughout the Hebrew Bible, which is called talking about the nature of God and that he reverses sort of like the usual expectations for things. If you've been around church for any amount of time, you know that's true, that the kingdom is an upside-down kingdom where the lowly are raised up and the prideful are brought down. This has always been true about God. And uh, if you read like in Psalm 8, that out of the mouths of babes and infants, God establishes strength. So God is um, using infancy as this important image that from those who are like infants, God is most strong. God is most made known of these sorts of things. It reminds me of this week as I was meditating on this scripture, um, just two chapters before this text, Matthew, he writes about Jesus as he's going around to different synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom, calling people to repent. He says this about Jesus, that when he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that is interesting. Like at your last small group meeting, I mean, I don't know how it went, but uh, when someone asked you, how, hey, how are you? How was your week this week? Um, I imagine you did not say, I was harassed and helpless this week. However, in that text, if we are in that text at all, it is not Jesus being really nice and like this like paternal figure to this crew. It is, it, we are the harassed and helpless ones. And uh, what I think I want to say about being like an infant, being harassed and helpless, is that if that is true of you, that's really good news. Because um, that is the only sort of person that gets to gets near to Jesus at all. So when Jesus is saying, come to me, it seems that he is interested in revealing his goodness, his gentleness, his humility to those who know they need him. And it's like that old hymn. Did anyone grow up in hymns church? I didn't, but it's cool that you guys did. Um, <laughs> there's a really old hymn, and it goes like this. Um, 
Feel free to sing along if you, if you know it. Uh, let not conscience make you linger, nor fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. This he gives you. Tis the Spirit's rising beam. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry or if you wait till you're better, you will never come at all. And so what's interesting about this is that to qualify for this job, as in to be uh, in this kind of like internship uh, in following Jesus, where you have like a mentor and they're teaching you things like a good internship should do, um, uh, on that resume, you don't beef it up to get it like you usually do. Like you'll sit in that interview and you'll come clean and say, I actually don't know Microsoft Excel and I don't know how to speak Spanish. My GPA was a little lower than the one that's on it. Or it's like, or I rounded up a little bit, padded my experience. But you actually get more honest. You say, I am desperate for this job. That's why I want it. Which is like an uncool thing to say <laughs> during a job interview, right? Um, if you did say that and it worked well, well for you, you can come see me after. But I was reminded also, um, because I was reading the Daily Office, and in the Daily Office we read uh, various texts from throughout the Bible, and what's helpful about the Daily Office and the lectionary is that you get to compare books that maybe, or passages from different books that you may not think to compare. So it helps like you make connections of the various links that happen throughout the Bible. And I discovered that Paul really liked this teaching from Jesus. He's really interested in it. And he applies it really pastorally to the Corinthian church, which you can read in 1 Corinthians in the first chapter, where he says, Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards, and not many of you were powerful, not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing the things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what I can observe in this text, and probably you too, is that if you're boasting, if you are meditating almost exclusively on your accomplishments, why you deserve to be in the room. Are you in God's presence, actually? It's just Jesus' words where he says, no, the people that get into my presence are the ones who know they need it. Like a baby crying for its mother. That's the sort of person that gets into that job. And so I'm going to make a few obs observations, not only about this text, but about you guys. That's cool. Uh, it's like a sort of I've been around here for two years now uh, in August, um, and so I feel qualified enough now to say, to make some like sociological, uh, psychological observations about y'all, if that's cool. It's not, you didn't ask me to read y'all today, but I, but I am. Um, and if I could just sum it up in a single sentence, is that y'all are smarty pants. I'll say that again. 
Y'all are smarty pants. Y'all have cool jobs and tech and healthcare and engineering. You have lots of degrees. Some of y'all have MDivs. Does anyone have an MDiv in here? Some of y'all are more qualified to be up here than I am, it sounds. Um, you're New York Times subscribers, and you can talk about Supreme Court decisions, and can give really good book recs, and you know how to retain that like tone of voice. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's like really cool and like even tempered, even keeled, like rational detachment. You know what I mean? The kind of thing that like only smarty pants people do. You know? It's true. It's just what I've heard. And so this text might prove challenging to some of us because in the kingdom of God, friends, each of us is a beginner. We will never outgrow being a beginner. We will never outgrow need and dependence. In fact, if we think we have, then we're putting the cart before, like in front of the horse, you know. A foolish, pitiful baby that's what we are, in the kingdom of God, that is desperate and, frankly, really ordinary needs. And the other thing is that I was thinking about is that we receive the same good news, like we believe the same gospel, as people who, I'm going to be honest, frankly, have really stupid opinions. The people that make you like cringe on social media. We believe that same thing, and we actually have more in common with them something what is most true about us. We're actually deeply united. And that's hard to reckon with. That's a tension, for sure. But it is good news, friends. Because honestly, um, that is a job that I can qualify for. So if you feel needy, if you feel like that you need the presence of God and that you are incapable of getting there yourself, well, you're a perfect fit, aren't you? Good news. God so desires to reveal the kingdom to people like you and me. The next thing I want to talk about is something that wasn't in our text today, which is the woes. So if you have your Bible open, uh, in the passage right before, Jesus is sounding really nice and cool. Um, Jesus sounds really intense. And um, I, I bring that up because I'm a youth pastor, and um, I've been doing this gig long enough to know that uh, usually halfway through my sermon before I'm able or ready to like have like intellectual discussion, you know, um, someone will raise their hand and be like, hey, uh, it's cool that you're talking about this text today, but I want to bring up the one before it where Jesus is being really mean. And so you're saying that Jesus is cool and nice and gentle, but he doesn't sound like that in the, like, the previous sentence. So give me your best. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. And they're, you know, usually 10 or 11, so. <laughs> and you know what? Um, what's good about kids is they don't ask dumb questions usually. It's a good question. If Jesus is so nice, he's really gentle and lowly, what do we do about the intense things that he has to say? This is what he says. Um, starting in verse 20, right before, he says, Then he began to reproach the cities in which he had done most of his deeds of power, but, and they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the deeds of power done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for you. 
For if the deeds of power have been done in you, that have been done in Sodom, like from Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than for you. Matthew has put quite a, a contrast that that text is like right next to Jesus saying like one of his most beautiful pastoral things. Um, and we have to reckon with that, folks. Um, I'm not, like, I don't think I'd be a good, responsible seminary student. Um, and I'd probably get like a strongly worded email from my like, New Testament professor if I, if I didn't mention it. And, that's, and I want to say that um, what's so cool about today's text about Jesus being gentle and lowly is that we can use that text as a sort of interpretive tool. Because listen, if you like walked into the mall or something and like shouted that sentence about how you reproached the cities um, and woe to Chorazin and Bethsaida, you would sound pretty arrogant and incendiary and obtuse, which is like the things that we don't want to be. And those aren't the words like we would like to ascribe to Jesus either, right? It's not how we want to lead. However, these kinds of passages are critical because um, if Jesus were only saying like frothy, frilly things all the time, he would not be very um, substantial, would he? Like maybe it'd be nice for like an old lady in the front row to believe, but maybe not a world leader. Maybe not someone with, with actual things at stake for them, right? But the good news is that Jesus is the most substantial person to have ever existed. And so when he brings this kind of challenge to us, when he brings judgment to people, cities, is not because he's arrogant or obtuse. What we actually can figure out, and I think this is what Matthew is trying to say to us, is that Jesus is like opening up his very heart, his very guts, and is saying, this is what is most true about me. And what's amazing, too, is that I have the unique authority to reveal the Father to you. We are so intimate, the Father and I. So what is most true about me is also most true about God, the Father. And it is out of gentleness, it is out of lowliness, that Jesus is saying the most challenging things that he's saying to us. And that's good news, um, because I think as we all know, I've figured out, long, if you live long enough or um, enter into relationships and community long enough, that truly hatred is not the sort of like angry, furious, yelling match kind of hatred. I think we all know that hatred looks different and that hatred oftentimes looks like indifference, like detachment, to be on the other end of a silent treatment. That's a worse kind of torture, right? And so Jesus is out of gentleness and lowliness, out of his own humility, is saying some of his challenging things. And what's so amazing about that is because Jesus is both deeply invitational and also really challenging. And what's so good about this, and this is just a good management principle if anyone's interested, is that if you are only encouraging but never challenging, um, you will sound floppy, unsubstantial. But if you're only ever challenging, you will be pretty miserable to work for, right? You have to have both. If you are going to be truly encouraging, if you want to actually communicate dignity to the people you're talking to, you need to have both challenge and invitation. You can't have one without the other. Or else it's not really loving, it's not really growth. And so you don't have to avoid this text anymore. right? 
It's good that Jesus says these intense things. I also bring this up not only because of the like, youth kids that often interrupt me, which is so cool for them, but I also bring this up because Jesus is quoting a prophet. In Jeremiah 6, it reads like this. I have a slide for it. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find what? Rest for your souls. Do you hear the mirror? He's quoting Jeremiah. But then it says, but you said, we will not listen. Jeremiah was also a pretty intense person. Um, He is called the weeping prophet because he said uh, probably the worst news that Israel had ever received up until that point, which is that they're about to go into exile for a very long time. Because they have strayed from the, the ancient paths a good way. And so they would be oppressed by um, a larger nation. And then once that nation would get taken over, another nation would fill in the space as their oppressors, right? And so Jesus is also a prophet, like Jeremiah, his forebearer. And it's okay if that intensity is hard for you sometimes. I'm also really sorry for like, maybe people who had my job in your life before, who are responsible for revealing Jesus accurately to you, had that really high calling, and um, they never addressed things like this with you. So maybe you opened up your Bible when you were 15 in your room alone at night and read something like, what do you Chorazin? And it was really anxiety-inducing. This is this person that I've given my whole life to, and yet it seems like he's not the person that I've been taught that's true for you, and that's maybe like still like on a low hum in the background of your faith. I'm really sorry. And you should know that Jesus is everything that we've talked about and more. And so that's why um, it's so important that you don't ascribe a tone to Jesus that he doesn't have. Because why? What is most true about him is that he is gentle and lowly of heart. Last thing uh, about the woes is that um, it's just a quote that I read in a commentary as I was preparing for this week, and it says that um, it is out of the love in his heart that Jesus says and pronounces judgment. How else will our enchantment with sin and self-destruction be halted? It's a different way of thinking about it, yeah. And so if Jesus pronounces this judgment, What's on offer for those who heed his warning? And that is this. Uh, I'm going to borrow an increasingly popular phrase from Christendom, which is um, an apprenticeship or an internship. Um, The image here of of a yoke is that there are two oxen. And usually if you had a a baby ox who was pretty weak um, and didn't know how to like pace themselves in tilling the soil. They would usually be paired up with a stronger, much older, wiser ox. Um, and so they would like bear the yoke side by side. But as we all know, uh, if you're ever doing like work with a child, like if you're taking your trash with them, they're like holding their hands on the trash can, but you are pushing it actually, right? Did anyone else's dad do that with them? It's the same way. Um, an ox that was strong was able to um, implicitly show the younger ox just what it means 
um, to till the soil well, to pace themselves. Um, sort of like when you first start a job and you're like the first one there and the last one to leave, right? And then you like burn out and you're like, I think I'm gonna quit like six months later. <laughs> Anyone else? Cool. Um, it's the same idea where it's like usually actually having a mentor, someone older and has been working longer than you to reveal, um, actually this is what it's like to have a work-life balance. This is what it means to do what's important and urgent today and then leave the rest for tomorrow, that kind of thing. We need people like that in our lives. And this is what Jesus is presenting in front of us, that Jesus is that person, is that wiser mentor than us, right? And that kind of connotes what Jesus was. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was a prophet. He was also a rabbi. And, you know, if you've been around the Bible long enough, you probably have figured out that a rabbi or a teacher is not only interested in teaching content, like a lot of like, teachers in our public school system do today, where like, here are the mathematical principles, here are the like, various like, historical facts and stuff like that that I'm gonna show you. Rather, a rabbi was interested in doing that for sure, um, but a rabbi like Jesus was not only interested in teaching content, Jesus is interested in teaching his ways, the how, not the what. And so Jesus is referring to status in these people's lives, that they are looking to him to figure out what it means to live. And what's neat about that is that what we get to see is like Jesus' like feelings about it. He says he is rejoicing at the concept that you or I might follow him. He says it's the gracious will of God that people would come to him, Right? It's like Bible speak for like, I'm really excited, right? And so I don't know, like, we're adults here, right? Well, at least most of us. And I don't know the last time someone told you that Jesus wants to be with you. If it's been a long time, I'm sorry, but it's true. Jesus is excited at the prospect of you hanging out with him and learning from him. That might change the way we think about faith, right? Some of us have gotten a little old, maybe a little cynical, and have forgotten maybe Jesus' approach to us, how he talks to us. And that if you could hear him talk to you, there would probably be something in you that said, I think this Jesus, the one to whom the Father has given literally everything, the Lord of heaven and earth, our king, is more humble than, than I am. He is far more gentle than I am. And what does that say about God? What it's like to follow him? And what kind of yoke, what kind of burden he would give to other people if we remembered that God is more humble than we are? That changes the game. And it might be easy to lose sight of what is most true about Jesus for the sake of getting our tasks done. Yeah. So, that quality of relationship is the good news here in that Jesus is not at all interested, it seems, in a life of discipleship or a life of an apprentice, people who want to live life with God. He's not interested in a life of discipleship that is heavy or ill-fitting. That's not who he is. He's actually incapable of doing that, as we can see. So I was reading that um, text this week, and I 
think that the Lord um, impressed upon me the first time in my life when that like really rang true for me. Some of you, some of y'all know um, that I interned for a while on an Indian reservation in eastern Washington State. Um, it was a really beautiful experience out in the in the desert of Washington, of hanging out with indigenous folks, um, shingling lots of roofs, and giving lots of kids piggyback rides, acting out Bible stories and skits, all that good stuff, right? And I got home from that experience really burned out because as beautiful as it was, it was also really complex because with the piggyback rides also came seeing up close and personal what centuries of oppression does to a people group. Seeing trauma passed down from great-grandparents who were sent away to Indian schools far away from their families, what that's like, even as people as young as three or four. I carried all of that home. All of the pain feels like I absorbed it. I didn't know where to put it. And so I was so tired and heavy. And I was sleeping through most, a lot of my classes um, and uh, sleeping through church. Um, the place where I had found a lot of vibrance in my life before felt like I just couldn't get there. And when I did, I just felt like a, a husk standing in front of everyone, you know. And so the, I did know about one evening service in Chattanooga, my college town. I was at an Anglican church. And when I was there, I like, came back to life in a way that's still mysterious to me today. I don't really understand it. All I know is that when I got there, um, that community loved me. They didn't expect anything from me. And the Anglican way, like, pastored me. And not only that, it felt like Jesus himself was pastoring me through the hands and feet of these people. And that's a debt I can't repay. One day, right before church, um, I'm getting ready, and I get a, call, a phone call. And on the other side of the call is a few of the kids that I used to drive around in a van on the dirt roads, on the res. And they wanted to catch up. They wanted to like, sh share, like all the stuff that six-year-olds talk about, like ch chapter books and uh, how they like, wanted to show me a picture, but they were like, oh, wait, we're on the phone. I can't show it to you, but I promise it's really cool and all that stuff, right? And it was so good to hear from them. I loved them. I still do. And as I hung up, I remembered at the time I was applying for like hip, cool journalism, editorial work in like hip urban centers like DC or Atlanta and how I wanted to like what like my vision of the good life at the time was like I'd be at a cocktail party and like sitting on a really nice couch and someone next to me would be like oh yes I work at the Pentagon where do you work and I'm like oh I'm a journalist no big deal and <laughs> and that like, level of like affluence was really appealing to me that, that's how I, I knew I would have made it if that was true I remember that's what I was going for and like sending out cover letters too and I think I felt the most guilty I've ever felt in my whole life, hanging up the phone. I thought, I am surely the scum of the earth for seeing up close and personal the pain of those living on the margins in abject poverty here, like in the confines of our own nation. And I'm committing maybe the same sin that everybody else in mainstream America does, which is forgetting 
the indigenous one, our first neighbors. How could I? So I go into church and I drag myself there, basically. And at the end of the sermon, the priest says, hey, if you would like to receive prayer during communion, uh, one of our prayer team will be in the back if you would like prayer. And so I was like, that's me. And so I go to the back, sing back, and it was like in a well-lit room like this one, so everyone could see me like standing up and like saunter into the back. And they can be like, oh, he's not doing well. And it would have been true. And I go to the back and I approach a man named Johnny, still a good friend to this day. And his wife was on the pastoral staff at the church and explained to him the phone call I just had, as beautiful as it was, and how awful I felt. I said, I feel so terrible for wanting these things for myself and knowing what I know. And so he anointed my head with oil and he laid his hands on my shoulders, and he started to pray. And as he was praying, there was like a long beat of silence, and he said, John Michael, I, I feel like I hear the Lord saying that he's proud of you. And like I like start weeping. Not that it takes that much, but um, just something broke in me at the idea that maybe God was proud of me for loving and showing up and serving these people. And he said this, a sense I don't think I'll ever forget, where he says, maybe it is true that you're meant to serve these people your whole life long. Maybe that is true. Stranger things have happened. But he said, God, if that is true, would you give John Michael a holy burden? Does that make sense to you all? It changed my life. Because I realized something that day, which is that the burdens that Jesus gives us they feel different. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like the burden I was accustomed to feeling. It doesn't feel like the productivity taskmaster mindset that I so easily enter into as someone who is white and middle class and has lots of access to education and resources. God's not like that at all. He is so gentle, y'all. And I know that some of you might purport to have heard the voice of God in your own life, like rise up out of your own soul. And I'll ask you this. What did it sound like? If it's like me, it's like the gentlest thing you've ever heard. Full of truth, full of substance, and so gentle. That is what God does. It's who he is. He can't do anything else, right? And so I, a few questions for you. Do you imagine God as that taskmaster, that micromanaging boss, adding more to an already overfilled plate, heaving upon weight on people already overburdened with guilt, and knowing how they don't measure up? Does God only speak in should and must statements to you, it seems? Is that how you hear God? Or is God someone else entirely? Maybe the Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath, which Jesus would declare himself in the passage that follows this one. He is the kind of God who, like Jesus, would stare right at the wise and then the intelligent in the temple, and who gaze down their noses at the tired and trembling, 
No, they can't measure up and look right in their eyes as he lays a hand on you like Johnny laid his hands on me that day. As he attends to your exhaustion, your doubt, maybe, your weariness, your heaviness, your guilt, as he attends to all of that, lays a hand on you and heals you, restores a part of you you thought maybe was dormant forever, and looks at you after defiantly looking at them and says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I will give you rest for your soul. That is a Jesus I would like to follow, yeah. So I ask you, what needs to happen for you to hear that for yourself again? Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe it was back in college, a youth group. What space needs to be cleared so that you can hear for yourself again what Jesus is really like? Maybe like you got saved at youth group or whatever. If it was like a big Southern Baptist youth group, it was like every eye closed, every head bowed, all that stuff. And they were like, please stand up if you like want to receive Jesus. And you do. And then like maybe they send you in the back and hand you like this pamphlet or like a card or something that says, here are the things that you do now that you're in the kingdom. Welcome. You should start to pray. You should start talking to God. You should start serving people. You should join a small group, get community and like reveal all of the like terrible things about yourself to them, right? Or like start reading your Bible. Like we won't tell you like how to read it well, but you should read it and all that sort of thing, right? That's not anyone's experience. Cool. What I find really interesting is that what they don't tell you on that pamphlet that you were handed, other things, things that um, Dallas Willard would call disciplines of abstinence versus the disciplines of engagement. Things like silence, solitude, fasting, Sabbath, stuff like that. Those things have been a godsend in my own life as like things seem to just fill up and fill up. Like Atlanta tends to do, which is a city I love, but it gives me dark circles, y'all, you know? So I end with this, which is Eugene, Peter, Eugene Peterson's rendering of the scripture, which I don't even have to say anything about. It's so good. Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And me, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen.